by for Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with your host, Drew Kirby. Hey, this is Luke Holmes. I am Morgan Wallen. I'm Riley Green. I'm Travis Denning. Hey, I'm Aaron Lewis. Hey, it's Luke Bryan. I'm Tim McGraw. What's up? This is Ian Munsick. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors is on now. Big thanks to all of our guests today. We've got a great show, so thank you so much for tuning in. We'll start today, as we do every week, with Wyoming Game and Fish Department, the organization that ensures we have great hunting and fishing throughout the state of Wyoming. Janet Millick is the information specialist for the Casper region, and today we have Matt Hahn, who is the Casper Fisheries Supervisor, looking over all the fisheries we have here in the Casper area. Last week, we were touching on how ice affects a lot of the fish in the fisheries, and this week, we want to talk more about frazzolize and how frazzolize affects the North Platte River and all the fish that are in there. Matt, can you give us a, a little insight on what frazzle ice really is? Yeah, so frazzle ice, you don't usually get it on lakes. It's it's more of a, a thing that pops up in rivers where you have a turbulent flow. And basically, it's uh, is the water's flowing down, going through riffles, you get turbulence, and the water can actually become super cooled, which means the temperature of the water actually gets below freezing and not by very much by you know a tenth of a degree or so below freezing but because it's the turbulence is keeping the water mixing it doesn't have a chance to freeze when it gets cold enough you'll get these little micro ice crystals that start to form in the water column and that's what they call frazzle ice those tiny little ice crystals are you know way less than a millimeter in diameter and they They can build up in the river and they stay in suspension because even though ice floats, they're so small that it doesn't take a whole lot of current to keep them in suspension. What happens is they start sticking to stuff. They'll stick to the bottom, they'll stick to each other, they'll stick to vegetation, whatever. And as that builds up on the bottom of the river, you get kind of a reverse, you know, typically you think ice forms on the surface and gets thicker. Well, anchor ice will actually start forming on the bottom of the river and grow up. And that can cause all kinds of problems. You know, you have brown trout eggs. They're in the gravel this time of year. Being a fall spawn fish, they lay the eggs into a nest in the gravel in the fall, and those eggs kind of hang out in the in the gravel all winter and hatch in the spring. Well, when you get anchor ice covers up those those reds or those nests where the eggs are, it can, it can suffocate the eggs. Another thing it can do is as it builds up, of course, because ice being buoyant, it starts building up on the bottom. When it gets thick enough, it'll then float and it'll take everything it's stuck to with it. So it'll actually pick up sediment from the bottom of the river and, and float it to the surface um, and then move it downstream. And anything that was in that sediment goes along with it. So when you have really cold winters like we've had, you know, getting wet way below zero like this, it, it tends to really favor that that formation of frazzle ice in the in the river and tailwater rivers like the North Platte here are a lot more susceptible to that than than an undammed river. Um, an undammed river usually you get shelf ice formation which is just you know the river's frozen on the surface that insulates the water from that really cold air but in a tailwater river because it's coming out of the dam at you know 40 some degrees you don't typically get that shelf ice formation. So that's where on those really cold nights, it's a lot more prone to produce that frazzle ice. Very important of why you don't get on 
any ice that may be formed on the North Platte. I mean, staying away from that during the ice is probably more of a better idea. Oh, yeah. You bet. The currents and everything else going on under the ice, you just you just can't ever predict what the thickness is. And, and a lot of the ice that forms on the river is frazzle ice that has clumped together and you see it forms slush, you know, that's floating on the surface. And when that gets to a constriction, either, you know, say a shallow riffle or a bend in the river and it starts clumping together. And if it's cold enough, that'll freeze into a solid shelf that looks like shelf ice, but it's not. It's just a all frozen together frazzle ice, which is full of air pockets and really has no structural integrity whatsoever. So <clears throat> you could have a layer of frazzle ice on the surface that's a foot thick and, you know, you take one step on it and just go right through. So, You mentioned that with the frazzle ice that the eggs can be affected. What about the fish that are in that particular area? Does it affect them? Does it push them out to a different location? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, there was a lot of research done on ice effects both in and outside of Wyoming. Uh, a lot of it was done back in the 80s and 90s, and uh, they found a lot of definite negative impacts of frazzle ice on fish populations and and it through two means there's there's obviously the physical the ice scouring the bottom and destroying eggs and embryos that are still in the river not to mention uh, invertebrates which is what they depend on for food but there's also a physical displacement that happens um fish in the winter time are seeking out slower velocity water because water's cold, their metabolism slower. So think about the river, the trout want to be in the slowest, deepest holes in the river in the wintertime. When you start getting anchor ice formation and frazzle ice, it's causing changes to how the water is flowing through those pools. So as you get more anchor ice buildup, the water has to go somewhere. So it gets squeezed between these areas of anchor ice, which increases the velocity to the point where the fish are forced to seek out other places to hide. There was a one study done, I think it was in Montana, where they found a lot of times that when you get the anchor ice formation, it increases the the level of the river because of the like the damming effect and it rewaters a lot of side channels that would normally not be flowing at winter flows. And the fish will go into those side channels to seek refuge because there's less flow there. But then when the anchor ice breaks up, and the water level drops, it strands all those fish in those side channels. So you can directly lose fish from the population through just displacement from their preferred habitat. And another one that's a little harder to, to visualize, but but is found to be a significant population influencer in the wintertime is just stress response. Um, when fish get displaced out of where they want to be, there's, you know, it's just like you can get stressed about various things and there's the physiological response to increased stress that can reduce the fitness of the fish and their ability to reproduce and things like that. And so, you know, wintertime is stressful for pretty much all wildlife and, and fish are definitely not immune to that, to that stressor as well. So real cold winters like this can, can definitely have a negative impact on, on fish populations in the river, I guess is the long story short. And we've talked before where the fish can get stressed in the summer just as much as they can in the winter, I suppose. And Matt, you definitely have a, a really tough job. I mean, uh, managing these fisheries is not easy. 
there is a lot more that goes into managing fisheries populations in Wyoming than people realize, right? Like how many people think about, you know, the ice formation, is it forming on the top? Is it forming on the bottom? Um, you know, so the habitat of fish, it, it is all something that these guys continually consider. Um, and that also plays into the types of fish that are stocked into certain, pop, you know, certain areas, um, whether they will survive or not. Well, it definitely is a science. And Matt, Janet, we do appreciate all that you do, especially when it comes to seeing that our fisheries remain some of the best in the country. Matt, Janet, thank you guys so much. Janet, stick around for just a second. We're going to have you back to talk about this conservationist award that's up for grabs for kids. It's coming up on Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. And we're back. It's Drew and Janet Millick hanging around. And Wyoming's such a great state to be involved in conservation. And when you start the kids young, uh, it inspires them to grow up and take care of the conservation efforts. And Janet, you guys have an award that is up for grabs. That's right, Drew. Um, Wyoming Youth Conservationist of the Year Award, which is a really great award that the Wyoming Game and Fish Department is giving out this year that anyone across the state of Wyoming can nominate someone that they know who is 18 years or, or younger. So really a, a pretty active youth in the conservationist world. And it's not someone who's necessarily, you know, a hunter or those sorts of things. It can be anyone who really has a passion for habitat, for example, you know, if they really want to work on doing some habitat restoration or fence removal, if they've seen an area maybe where um, fences um, needed a little bit of help getting fixed up or a little bit of help getting removed, whatever the situation might be. It is a, a great opportunity to nominate those, those kids that are active in the outdoors um, to really give them some recognition for what they've done. And it's fun because there are so many opportunities in Wyoming. I mean, if you think about you know, New Jersey or some of those East Coast states, they don't have the opportunity that, that we have here. And really, it's limitless as far as getting involved in, in our state. You know, it really is. And while the Wyoming Game and Fish Department may not have a project for every kid in the world, because a lot of that stuff is dependent on where you are, there is always something going on with a state agency or with a boy scout club or, you know, something along those lines that really can get kids out and get them involved. And so we really do encourage people just to, to check out their their local communities. You know, again, this is across the state. This is not just something for for Casper. And so to think about those kids who really have made that extra effort to do something good. Um, you know, I know that there's groups of kids that, um, clean around Yesness Pond prior to our youth kids fishing day that, that goes on in June. And so even things like that are things that are, are worth thinking through and maybe need a nomination. If someone has that desire to go above and beyond, and maybe they want to go to a small pond here in town like Yesness and pick up trash or do a project like this, do they need to get permission? You know, um, the Wyoming Game and Fish Department does not manage 
the lands around um, Yesness Pond, just the fish that are in it. And so absolutely the city of Casper is somebody that you do need to contact. And, and you know, um, picking up of the trash can sometimes be a little precarious because you want to make sure that you're doing things safely and not, you know, putting your health in harm's way, depending on, on where you are and what you're doing. Jenny, you and I were chatting earlier that another way that you can get involved and help conservation is becoming an instructor for the safety courses. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's one of those things that there's there's lots of things that the Wyoming Game and Fish Department does that people associate back with hunting. And so one of the big things that that always rings true is our hunter education or our hunter safety courses that that go on across the state. And right now coming up this over the next year is a great opportunity for people who might be interested in becoming a hunter education instructor. Um, we'll be doing some workshops where they can get trained up. They can learn from our Cheyenne folks, our hunter education coordinator who will be coming across the state to different locations. And so I really want to encourage people to get online, find out a little bit more about that hunter education piece. And if you're interested, it's a great way to really get in touch with with kids across the state to really return um, a lot to Wyoming. You know, we all, um, most of us are in Wyoming because we love the out of doors. And this is a great way to make sure that we keep Wyoming just as fantastic as always and and safe and with great ethics and become a hunter education instructor. Checking out wgfd.wild.gov, a great way to get involved with that. Or if you have more questions specifically about this, you can contact uh, Wyoming Game and Fish Department. Just give them a call and, and ask them any questions you want. Janet, thanks again. Thanks, Drew. Next up, we'll check in with Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. Welcome back to the show. It's Drew and Brian Woodward from Rocky Mountain Discount Sports. And Brian, we are at a stalemate now because uh, goose season has ended, but that doesn't mean that there's not hunting going around uh, here in Wyoming. No, there's a, if you're a bird hunter, there's still some bird farms that are opened up and, uh, you know, River Bend just outside of town is really convenient and that's easy to get to and always fun to chase those birds out there. And, uh, of course, you know, there's guys that are chasing coyotes and yeah. other critters. So yeah, there's plenty to be, to be done still. So when we have gone pheasant hunting in the past, you know, there hasn't been lots of snow, right? Uh, it's a different story when you're going out there with lots of snow. A, the birds are a lot easier to see, I would imagine. Right. But then, you know, you got to be prepared in a different way going. Around town, you know, that snow blows off in most of those areas. So we still get the birds. We still find them in the same spots under those sagebrushes and the cattails or, you know, along the river and that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, some, it, the last couple of weeks, it's been a little bit tougher to get around. When you come into to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports, you're going to go on a pheasant hunt or maybe going to go on a coyote hunt. Uh, this time of year, you need maybe a, a separate set of equipment that you would normally not have with you, and they can pick that all up here at, at Rocky Mountain. Yeah, the biggest thing is just trying to plan for the weather, you know, and try to keep that wind off your back and uh, so you don't... Uh, you know, get to frostbite and those kind of things. So, you know, a good pair of boots and hand warmers and gloves. And, you know, uh, you know, we've had, we've had a pretty rough winter so far and, you know, it might be time to replace some of those things. You know, one of the things that I, I really have heard over the last couple of years is, oh, well, we don't have winters like we used to have. <laughs> and this year, it seems though everybody is being knocked on their butt because it's back. 
Yeah, it's been kind of hard to keep up with, you know, and so that that, that heavy snow and then you got the wind uh, that keeps piling up in front of the doors and around around things. It's uh, it, it's definitely been a challenging winter. So make sure that you're fully prepared for uh, whatever uh, Mother Nature could throw at you. And if you're coming in to do uh, to get prepared for your your pheasant hunt or or maybe a coyote hunt, uh, the equipment here is uh, perfect, especially if you need a new shotgun. Yeah, for shotguns, ammunition, if you're looking at coyote calls or any predator calls, um, that stuff, you know, is, is definitely easy to get a hold of, not going to break the bank. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of good options, especially in shotguns that, uh, you know, everything from, you know, $300 pump shotguns to you know, all your semi-automatics. So there's, a, there's still a lot to do, and, uh, and uh, we've got good inventory of everything right now. So if you're going out and, and you're, you're heading out on a, on a different hunt, Maybe you're uh, you're looking at the coyotes, and you mentioned the calls and the electronic calls and whatnot. And and talking with game and fish, uh, the rabbit population is not as popular or big as it used to be, and that probably would be a, a almost golden ticket if you were to have one of those calls if you're trying to catch those coyotes. Well, it certainly helps guys be a lot more effective, right? And and so and then but then again, you still have to be in an area that there's those critters around. So uh, the electronic calls are they're really kind of fun you know there's lots of different sounds that are pre-programmed into those things where you know you kind of start playing around with you know pup calls or squeal calls or whatever else and um, just seeing how the, the animals respond to those calls it's kind of it's kind of entertaining what's a good way and I know we've talked a lot about maps and having the maps and the onyx maps is mm-hmm. a free download and and really kind of gives you some inside scoop of what's going on in that particular area, and which you just said it's a good idea to know what's there. Yeah, the Onyx maps really is kind of, I think that's the the leading, you know, way to find public and private land mm-hmm. and landowners and that kind of stuff identifies the hunt management areas the walk-in areas that kind of stuff so you know between you know what maps are available blm maps uh, even just the uh, ran atlases that kind of stuff you use that uh, to kind of plan your hunt ahead of time you're, you're gonna have you're gonna find some areas that are huntable and uh, you, you'll be able to get away from people Come on in, check them out. Rocky Mountain Discount Sports for all of your outdoor needs. It's Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. Welcome back to the show. Thank you again for tuning in. And as always, you can go listen to all of our episodes at the radio station's app. We've got a lot of good stuff there that uh, you can learn. If maybe you are just moving to the area or maybe you're uh, you know, a professional, lived here forever, and uh, just looking for something new. Get over and check that out. Now, Brian, we're to the point now, uh, it's, I want to say late winter, but it's right in the middle of winter, and we're going to have a little bit of a warm-up here, and then it'll get cold again, and snow again, but uh, looking forward to spring and, and fishing. And Glenda, we've talked a, a little bit over the last few days about some of the things that are happening at, at Glendo. They're really kind of spice it up down there. Yeah, you know, the park superintendent's doing a really good job of trying to uh, accommodate the needs of, you know, as many different uh, user groups as possible. And 
it looks like they're you know got uh, some bids out for some new docks you know they last couple years you know they put a bike course in there and they've got an archery range in there and they've got the Quonset huts and looks like they're going to put some uh wall tents in mm-hmm. over in elkhorn so some kind of neat new different things down there just kind of you know keep keep the, the activities going and to give you something else to do instead of just being on the water but being on the water is one of the main attractions of glendo and uh with the winter that we're having all of the snow that we're having what are you expecting to see come melt off well um it, it just depends on when it melts off right um water temperature kind of dictates water flow dictates uh, the walleye spawn when that all happens i think usually around 45 to 50 degrees and when you start seeing the spawn and and the and the walleye is really kind of transition you know out of the main lake maybe up the river or anywhere where there's some some water uh flow and tributaries coming in but yeah it just kind of depends on when that happens usually that's you know uh, mid april to late april uh first of may type of stuff but um you know water levels down there um is going to be pretty consistent i think that you know glendo has a water management plan that uh kind of prevents that water from getting you know too deep into the trees Mm -hmm. like you know back in the day we used to be able to you know fish 100 yards into those trees and and find some pockets and get out of the sun and and catch those uh, walleyes and stuff transitioning through the trees but with the new water management plan i think they they try to maintain that water level at 100% and and when it gets over that they dump it pretty quickly so yeah it just kind of depends on when this ice is going to come off you know with the water uh, with the runoff you know glendo tends to rise pretty quick so mm-hmm. that affects uh, the edges of the water of the ice and then the wind will help break that up as well but some of these higher mountain lakes or you know higher elevation lakes anyways like seminole and pathfinder uh, we can see ice on there for quite a while. Does it affect your planning going into that? Because obviously if the water's coming down, then maybe it's going to stay colder a lot longer than, than it has. And um, It does. It, it doesn't really. I mean, you know, it's just a matter of, you know, uh, following the patterns of the fish and what they're doing. Uh, there's there's almost always, you know, fish on the main lake. Um, not every fish is a, goes up to spawn. Mm-hmm. Uh, not every fish, you know, transitions from one end of the lake to the other. Uh, there's a lot of lot of main, fish on the main lake. So um, how we fish generally, you know, if it's you know, pre-spawn, you know, there's we'll do a lot of jigs and minnows or slip bobbers and minnows, something a real natural presentation with live bait. There's there's some guys that will you know still pull crankbaits you know because that's just what they like doing and so uh, they're they're still imitating a minnow bite and uh, they'll they'll have some success as well. But a couple of years ago we had that freak snow in April and May that you know really kind of jarred everything up mm-hmm. again. But uh, with something like that uh, with the ice that we have now, I mean a late spring or I guess late winter snow mm-hmm. could really put a, a, a kibosh on a lot of things. Well, definitely uh, for runoff purposes, kind of muddies up the waters, you know, and then if we've got heavy runoff, you know, it takes a lot of the debris that's on the shorelines and it'll, it'll wash it down into the reservoir. So there's a lot of times on that, you know, first, first ice off that you have to be really careful about how you're driving your boat across the middle of the lake. Cause all of a sudden you could come across a, a big tree that's just floating across across the lake so and it all just kind of depends on the runoff and how fast it happens and you know because when we get a lot of melt off real fast that that runoff into those big reservoirs can can cause some havoc on the shorelines so you definitely want to make sure that you uh you check the conditions before you head out and and very quickly you were telling me a story 
uh, about some eagles that are uh, kind of being uh, pains in the butt and <laughs> maybe a pretty big year for, for eagles and uh, issues. Yeah, I don't know. Um, last weekend was our, our last weekend for goose season, and a friend of mine was down, down around Glenrock area and shot a couple of geese out of a flock and had let them set in the, set in the field. He had other geese work in the area, so he let those sit. And um, before long, all of a sudden, an eagle comes down and grabs that goose and flies off with it. And then another eagle comes right behind him and flies off with the other, the second goose. So um, it's no surprise to a lot of the ranchers in the area, especially during calving season or uh, this particular rancher uh, down there raises a lot of sheep. So uh, it's always a concern that those those uh, birds of prey are going to take some of our sheep or calves. What about when we're on the water? Is that is that an increasing problem that you see, or that you've had any run-ins with them? You know, um, I've seen I've seen an eagle up at Pathfinder. You know, um, you know there'd be like a a, a trout or a, a, a small walleye that maybe was floating or took a deep hook or whatever. But I've seen eagles come down and, and grab grab a, a fish and pick it up and then take it over to shore and sit there and, and chew on it. So it's pretty, pretty neat to watch. Um, yeah. I, I remember it at uh, Glendo last year, right? Boats were just taking off and there was an eagle floating over, over the water. It's, it's really cool to see, mm-hmm. but then when they start taking your fish, that's a, a problem. <laughs> Better the fish than our, than our dogs out of our backyard. Yeah, so well, that's true. That <laughs> is true. Well, if you're uh, planning to get out and start fishing as soon as you can get out on the water, make sure you come over here and check it out at Rocky Mountain Discount Sport. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors, and we greatly appreciate you listening. If you've missed any of our shows, you can find them in the radio station app on demand. Very simple to find and listen to all of the shows. And every week, we like to bring folks into the show that make an impact in the outdoors in our area. And one of those organizations is Project Healing Waters Fly Fishing. And we have Bruce Chandler, who is uh, here in Casper and and part of this great organization. And, Bruce, we appreciate you being on the show. Thank you for having me, Drew. It, it's always a pleasure to share some time with you and have the opportunity to uh, let the local community know what we're doing here to help out our veterans. And that's the, the key, is is your organization is 100% all for the veterans, and, and really it's taken care of by this program. That's correct. We um, have in, in the CASPA area alone, I have over 120 uh, registered veterans, uh, mostly all are disabled. Um, actively, I have 77 uh, veterans that participate on a regular basis in our activities, which, as you mentioned, include uh, fishing outings, uh, overnight trips, fly tying, educational classes, and rod building. And right now we're in the midst of um, having our winter classes, uh, doing our rod building. Uh, We meet every Tuesday evening at the uh, VFW post out on Brian Stock Trail, and they're producing some beautiful fly rods, which they'll be getting to use out on the water 
uh, hopefully this spring. You know, and that's uh, another great part of this organization is when possibly you can't get out on the water to fish or go out on an, an outing, you still have those weekly get-togethers where, you know, these men and women that rely on this camaraderie that is offered by Project Healing Waters can go all year with these classes. And you said you're in the process of fly rod building. Uh, is there... A, a kit that they get that they slowly just kind of craft their rod? Uh, pretty much, yes. That that would be accurate. Uh, we have a lot of our uh, suppliers that uh, enable us to order the different increments and parts that are needed to build a fly rod. They do come as kits. Um, I also order individual parts uh, for folks. So, uh yeah, we have everything provided to the veterans, and, uh, of course, everything is provided at no charge. Uh, we have all the uh, equipment. We have the expertise. We have some highly experienced uh, volunteers that assist uh, the beginners in uh, producing these rods. And right after the rod making, which should be finished in a couple of weeks, uh, we'll be starting our uh, fly tying session, and we'll be meeting once again every week at the uh, VFW and uh, getting everybody set up with the fly tying vices and all the materials needed for fly tying. It has to be a little something extra to go out on a fly fishing trip and know that you put your blood, sweat, and tears into making that rod and tying those flies so that, you know, you're 100% the reason that you caught that fish. Exactly. Very well said. Uh, it, it's a very rewarding experience uh, for me personally uh, to see these veterans engage in the programs and then to enjoy the uh, results of their labor. This is my 10th year with Project Healing Waters, and every year um, I see the organization growing. We have over 300 national chapters and each chapter does engage in these programs that I've previously mentioned. So the program has developed over the years into um, just a fantastic outlet for our veterans. It's an ongoing process. We still have, unfortunately, over 20 veteran suicides daily. Uh, and that's the crux of what we try to do is to get the veterans involved with the programs, give them an outlet, give them the camaraderie and uh, the opportunity to sit and visit with other veterans and kind of uh, interpersonal counseling, I would I would call it. Uh, and it, it seems to be working out pretty well. Bruce, you mentioned that there are over 20 uh, veterans per day that are taking their own lives. Are you seeing a, a drop or, or maybe a rise in the morale when they get involved with an organization like Project Healing Waters? Absolutely. Absolutely. Over the years, uh, we've had some personal encounters and opportunities with veterans that are just kind of in a, in a very tenuous situation, um, psychologically, physically, emotionally. And um, I have seen some positive results. Uh, we work hand in hand uh, with the vet center located here in Casper and the good folks up there that do a lot of the um, personal counseling with our veterans. We're working hard to try to 
get those numbers down. But um, unfortunately, they're staying pretty constant. It's as a result of the Gulf War and Afghanistan and the Iraq conflict and all. A lot of those veterans come home after serving three, four, five tours overseas. And uh, they they just come home kind of lost and looking for some direction, some security, some acceptance. So that's basically what we do with Project Healing Waters is extend our uh, ability uh, uh, to interact with them and try to give them uh, a resource to help them heal. Uh, how long of a process does it take to get started? Uh, once someone finds out the, about the program and decides they want to get in, is it fairly seamless and quick? We have a website that enables uh, a particular person can contact me either by email or direct uh, by phone. And we can do a registration of this person uh, pretty much over the phone in about 15 or 20 minutes and get them registered into our uh, CRM program. We take down some basic information, uh, military background, uh, service-related questions, a little bit of personal information, and then they're officially registered in the program. I put them on our contact list, so uh, they get the regular emails and listings of the classes and trips and everything that's entailed. So it's a very... Uh, easy and seamless program. Once you're involved and you know, you said you've been here 10 years, so you've been able to accompany a lot of these veterans. What does it mean to you to see an organization like this uh, helping and reaching out like it does? Personal rewards are tremendous for me, uh, being able to contribute back to the veterans. I'm a uh, Vietnam veteran myself. Uh, I have a 100% disability rating. And uh, I pretty much stayed, I would say, in the closet with my personal issues uh, as a result of my service back in 1966 to 1968. And a few years back, um, I met uh, one of the principals in Project Healing Waters, as I mentioned, about 10 years ago. And he invited me to uh, join the program uh, on a personal level with helping other people. Uh, it's just been a wonderful, um, I would say, cathartic experience to be able to work one-on-one with the veterans. Well, Bruce, uh, we definitely thank you for your service and thank you for all you do for the veterans here. I know that I've personally spoken to some that are involved and it changed their life. And, and I love hearing that there are great things being done for our men and women that, that served our country. You can go check out again, projecthealingwaters.org. Bruce, thank you again for, for sitting in with us. And, and we hope that the spring of 23 is huge for you guys. We're looking forward to a wonderful season. Drew, thank you uh, for your participation and support and to your parent company for their ongoing support. We appreciate it a great deal and look forward to a continuing relationship with you and your company. Absolutely our pleasure, Bruce. Thank you so much. ProjectHealingWaters.org is where you can go. There's another ice fishing derby coming up in the Sheridan area. We talk with the Rotary Club next. It's Wyoming hooking and hunting outdoors.
Welcome in again to Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors, where we love ice fishing. And this year has been an exceptional year for ice fishing all over the state of Wyoming. Here at at uh, Glendo and Pathfinder, over at uh, other uh, lakes and and uh, reservoirs here in the state, and one of those is up in Sheridan with the uh, Desmet Lake, and there's a big ice derby coming up on the 25th, and we have uh, Gary Dobney and Rob Forster of the uh, the Rotary Club there, and you guys have been putting this on for about three years now, and have you seen the, the size getting a little bit bigger here and there? It, this is our third year. The, from the first to the second year, we had a, a large number of, of people that joined us a lot of that has to do with weather. We had great weather last year, and and we're crossing our fingers that we get the same kind of weather this year. But so far, the pre-registration is is about four times what we saw last year. One thing that I like is it's a day tournament. You could come up in the morning, and you're going home that evening. So it really is nice to be able to get it all in in one day. We want to make it easy, uh, not only for the participants, but for us Rotarians that are putting this tournament on and we got great prizes we've got uh, for four different species of fish the longest fish we're not going by weight so you don't have to worry about putting lead weights into your fish <laughs> yeah. no cheating uh, <laughs> we're, just, we're just using length and uh, so the longest fish in the four categories are perch walleye uh, kokanee salmon and trout uh, the longest fish gets a thousand dollars second longest fish gets three hundred dollars and the third largest fish is $200. And if we have ties, then we, we don't split the, the prize winnings. You each will get the full amount. In addition to that, we, we just put in last Thursday, we put in 200 tagged trout. And these trout are unbelievably healthy, big. They, they go from four and a half pounds to two and a half pounds. They're, these are really great fish wow. to catch. So those those fish will be worth sixty dollars, Drew. There, there, and one one more thing: the longest fish of the day we weigh, and we have a an insurance policy. And if the last two digits of the weight are the same as what's in a secret envelope, then that person will win twenty five thousand dollars. Wow! Kind of like a hole in one prize. That's one in that's one in a hundred. One in a hundred chance. Yeah. How's this going to benefit the the club with uh, with everybody coming in and and getting to be a part of this tournament? What's the beauty of it? Financially, the club doesn't at all. I mean, every every dime is going to go through the Sheridan Rotary Foundation, uh, which is our charitable giving uh, portion of our club, and the recipients from the foundation are our Sheridan local Sheridan uh, charity. Uh, and nonprofits. So really, when you take a look at the rotary four-way test of everything we think and say and do, this this ice tur- this ice fishing derby really, really matches right up with that. Uh, the camaraderie is fantastic. Uh, the the Sheridan High School Interact Club, which is the equivalent uh, of a rotary club at the high school level, uh, those students are going to be out uh, doing concessions uh, out there, and they're going to be uh, raising funds themselves. Uh, and I've been able to get. Uh, our local Albertsons to donate the hot dogs and our local Walmart to donate the hot dog buns. Uh, and a, an anonymous Rotarian donated all of the meat uh, for, the, for the chili. And so it's really going to be a, 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 a good opportunity for those kids to raise some funds. It's going to be a great time. Again, the 25th of February, Lake Desmet, uh, up near Sheridan. And where can folks go to get uh, more information 
and even uh, get their um, entry fee taken care of? It's all done online, SheridanRotary.org and uh, backslash Ice Fishing Derby. You can also go in person to Rocky Mountain Discount Sports here in Sheridan and uh, sign up in person. We give out a lot of door prizes. If you sign up, there's a good chance you're gonna win something. And we've got some great door prizes too. Gary and Rob, we do appreciate everything and we wish you the best of luck uh, on the 25th. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for the- uh, Thank you, Drew. Marketing. You got it, guys. Thank you again. That's gonna do it for this episode of Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors. If you have a question or you have a concern or you have a show topic you'd like us to discuss, just hit us up in the radio stations app. Click the message button and we greatly appreciate it. That's another show in the books. Have a great week. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors with Drew Kirby. If you have a question, want to make a comment, or have an idea for a show topic, message us on the My Country mobile app. Wyoming Hooking and Hunting Outdoors.